0: Welcome to the study of God's Word with pastor and author Ed Taylor, recorded live at Calvary Church in Aurora, Colorado. To learn more about the many resources available through Abounding Grace Media or to tune into our live stream services, visit us online at calvaryco.church or download our free Calvary Church app. Now here's Pastor Ed to take us into our study. Amen. Amen. Would you open your Bibles, please, to 2 Kings chapter 20? 2 Kings chapter 20. And I've entitled our Bible study today, Facing Death. Facing Death. we introduced here to a king by the name of Hezekiah, and God has used Hezekiah in wonderful ways. God has blessed the nation of Judah through his leadership, but now it's coming to the end of his life here. And notice with me in verse one, it says, in those days, Hezekiah was sick and near death. And Isaiah, the prophet, the son of Amos, went to him and said to him, thus says the Lord, set your house in order for you shall die and not live. And then he turned his face toward the wall and prayed to the Lord saying, Remember now, O Lord, I pray, how I've walked before you in truth with a loyal heart and have done what was good in your sight. And Hezekiah wept bitterly. In between verse 3 and verse 20, there's a span of 15 years as Hezekiah prays for more time and God grants that to him. But eventually he gets to verse 20. Now the rest of the acts of Hezekiah, all his might and how he made a pool and a tunnel, and brought water into the city? Or are they not written in the book of the Chronicles of the kings of Judah? And so Hezekiah rested with his fathers, and then Manasseh, his son, reigned in his place. And God has used Hezekiah in a wonderful way in the lives of the nation of Judah, and it reminds us how we are blessed when people are brought into our lives, and there's such an encouragement and strength to us. However, it is painful when they leave or pass away or even die. And it reminded me of the time in 2013, a very difficult year for us, But part of the difficulty of 2013 was not merely the loss of our son, Eddie, at the age of 27, but also Pastor Chuck Smith died that year. And God used him in an extremely way, extremely wonderful way in the lives of so many, including you, even if you've never met him uh, before he passed on. And God has used him greatly. But the Bible teaches us that death comes to us all. And that death is an enemy. That's a true statement. It's painful. It's hard. But death is the result of sin. At the same time, death reminds us of hope. That there is a resurrection. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, and verse 25, it says, For he must reign until he's put all enemies under his feet. And the last enemy that will be destroyed is death. Further on in Revelation chapter 21 in verse four, it speaks of a time where God will wipe away every tear from their eyes and there shall be no more death, no more sorrow, no more crying. There shall be no more pain for the former things have passed away. And so Hezekiah comes to a time in his life where he is face to face with death. And I know when you're reading through the Bible, it's easy to read over these phrases. You know, maybe you're on a Bible reading plan and you're just kind of reading through and we can read quickly past some phrases that are very important. And I want you to notice in verse one, it says, in those days. What days are those? Well, these are days of victory and strength. These are days of God's faithfulness, of God using Hezekiah in a wonderful way. And listen, church, even in times where God is blessing, things are moving forward, great things are happening, godly men and godly women are not immune from sickness or even sickness that brings death. Sometimes God will even use that sickness for his great glory because every one of us will face death. Every one of us will die of our last sickness. The Bible is very clear that the wages of sin is death. So, Hezekiah, notice, facing death, was told to get his house in order. These are wise words get your house in order. We should live daily with our houses in order and not just wait until we get really, really sick. As a friend, as a pastor, even from personal experience, I want to encourage you to set up your wills and your living trusts and put down in writing what's important to you, especially for the time which hopefully won't happen to you, but none of us really know, especially for times of what you want to be said on your behalf. If you're incapacitated or in a coma, as we personally witnessed someone in a coma that had people speaking for him, did not, did not represent his heart or his desires. And these are important things. Get your house in order. And if that's all that you came to church for today, please take it to heart. I know it's hard, and I know it's difficult, but you want to be able to speak up for yourself if in the unfortunate situation that you're unable to do that. Hezekiah, get your house in order. Be prepared to die. And so for our time today, I wanna take you through a passage of scripture that will both bring comfort and encouragement, but also prepare you. Prepare you to face this biblical topic of life and death. Would you turn over to 1 Thessalonians chapter four? This is all the way over in the New Testament, 1 Thessalonians chapter four. Why are we tackling such a tough topic today? Well, for a variety of reasons, but in the broad sense, we know that death is inevitable. And we know the Bible has much to say about life and death. And while we spend a lot of our time and attention on life, Ecclesiastes chapter 3 and verse 1 says, To everything there's a season, a time for every purpose under heaven, a time to be born and a time to die, a time to plant and a time to pluck what was planted. In Acts chapter 17 and verse 26 it says, and he has made from one blood every nation of men to dwell on all the face of the earth and has determined their pre-appointed times and the boundaries of their habitation. And it's interesting if you study different websites, uh, apps of pastors that teach the Bible or teach from the Bible, that we find a lot of Bible studies about life and so much teaching about Christian living, but there's not much teaching on Christian dying But like the believers in this city of Thessalonica, we too now need to be reminded and taught on Christian dying. Paul the Apostle, which by the way, we're just meeting for the first time in the book of Acts. We're meeting in these early stages of his life as he's transformed. God does a massive work in his life. Unbelievable. We don't have time to go into the depths of it, although we've studied some of it so far. But by the time he writes to this church in Thessalonica, I want you to see how God has cultivated in him a pastor's heart. And he writes like a true shepherd to the church and to the believers in this city. They'd experienced loss, great loss. And Paul, inspired by God, thought it was very important for these new believers to understand the realities of death and to understand what happens after death. The Bible again says in Hebrews chapter 9, verse 27, that it's appointed once for men to die, but after this, the judgment. And it's important that you understand what happens after death, church. Paul, this pastor and shepherd, is writing to comfort broken-hearted Christians who had lost some of their loved ones to death. They are new believers. They're newer in their faith. You could say that they haven't read through the whole Bible yet, and you can say that very clearly because at this point, the whole Bible hadn't been written. They're new to the faith. They're new in this transformative work. They have heard. They spent three weeks is all that Paul had with them. Three weeks. He taught them the entirety of what he knew, and after three weeks, he left, and they continued on, and in the time that Paul had left, many of their loved ones had died, and they were confused. And they were uncertain. And as like any death notice, notification comes, it's like a kick uh, in the gut where you lose your equilibrium and you start to consider and question. And that's where they are. They're concerned. They're concerned about what is going to happen to those that they love. They're concerned about the coming of the Lord. That they misunderstand Paul? They weren't certain. And so the poor church is hurting and wrestling with hopelessness, hopelessness. You know, when you lose someone close to you and someone dies that you love, there's a lot of questions that come up. These are very common, very normal questions like why? And then you can add to that, why now? Why him? Why her? You might even come to God with, why me? Will I have to go through this again and again? Are you punishing me, God? And many of the why questions and the what questions and the how questions are very hard to answer. And yet there are answers to these questions that can comfort us. I believe that there's no specific answer that will bring you complete comfort because death is an enemy, and it smacks us around at times, reminding us to place our full faith and trust in God. You'll see right away, if you want to draw with me in verse 13, I draw your attention in chapter 4 of 1 Thessalonians chapter 13, Paul says, I don't want you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning those who have fallen asleep lest you sorrow as others who have no hope. For the believer in Jesus Christ, the born again man and woman, you have hope in Jesus Christ. It is not a hopeless experience to lose someone to death. You have hope. You don't sorrow like those who have no hope, but you sorrow nonetheless. We refer to that often as grieving, And mourning, as we'll see some of the ingredients of grieving in just a moment. But your sorrow is different because it's rooted in the hope of the resurrection, of being reunited with those who have died in Christ before you. And here, the church in Thessalonica were all mixed up because of notice that word in verse 13 they were ignorant. It's really unfortunate in the day in which we live the word ignorant is used as a pejorative term to put someone down and to make fun of someone but it in its own definition in a very simple place and certainly Paul is not using it this way the word just simply means you don't know you lack knowledge it's not an insult it shouldn't be used that way it just means you don't know you don't understand And it was because of their lack of knowledge that made things harder than they were. They didn't know what was going to happen after death. They listened to the Bible studies, but really didn't pay attention until it happened. And then they're like, I don't remember. I don't know. And so Paul just says, I don't want you to be ignorant. I'm going to remind you of some things. I'm going to teach you a few things that will bring back a foundation by which you can handle this hurt and this pain, and this difficulty. It says in verse 14, for if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so God will bring with him those who sleep in Jesus. For this we say to you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will by no means precede those who are asleep. I love this. Again, you're reading through the Bible very quickly. You may miss that phrase in verse 15. He says, for this we say to you by the word of the Lord. It is the word of the Lord that gives you a strong basis for faith and a foundation on which to build your life. Paul's answer in times of difficulty, Paul's answer in this sudden departure of loved ones was based upon the word of God. That's where your hope is and your strength is. In church, you hear it week after week and month after month and year after year, the importance for you to base your life upon the word of God, for you to read the Bible and pray every day. Because there are those times where you just don't know what you need, when you need, until you need. And certainly sudden death is one of those times. It always feels sudden, doesn't it? Even if it's a long period of illness, we always refer to death as untimely. It's always untimely. It just hits the wrong way. It's so bittersweet where there's a part of us where we're relieved and we're happy if someone was suffering or going through something. At the same time, we're grieving and mourning for our own loss, but it's always untimely. But understand this, It's not untimely in the eyes of God. In Psalm 139, it speaks of the days of our lives being already written and fashioned for us. And while we experience it so sudden and so difficult, it's not anything that's taken God by surprise. How do we know that? By the word of the Lord. It's the word of the Lord that will give you the comfort and the strength in those times when you have no comfort or strength. We don't need to worry or to wonder about death or life after death because we have the revelation of God in his word. We have the word of the Lord. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 1, it says, For we know that if our earthly house, this tent, is destroyed, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens, For in this we groan, earnestly desiring to be clothed with our habitation, which is from heaven. We have an absolute certainty with the revelation of God that we will be with him for eternity. That's a long time. That your life is swallowed up in Christ and he promises you eternal life. But unfortunately, people take advantage of the vulnerability that death brings into a person's life. And they write these books with vain speculations and they've seen the light and they've returned and they come back with all these fanciful, weird and false stories. I'm amazed to see so many people listen to the words of those who say they died and came back to, came back to tell us about it, but at the same time, they reject the words of Jesus Christ. They are false teachers indeed. Indeed. If you want comfort and encouragement in your time of loss and grieving and bereavement, it's found in a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. He declares that he alone is the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, he says, though he may die, he shall live. And whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. And then he looks at and he says, do you believe this? Everything hinges in your life on whether you believe that Jesus Christ is the resurrection and the life. Jesus is alive today, calling many people to himself. Why would you settle for empty religion? Why would you settle for dabbling in religious things and saying you're rel- You need the real thing, church. You need a real repentant heart, turning away from your sins and receiving the Lord Jesus as your personal savior. You need it. You don't know the day of your death. You don't know how fast things can change. Notice, notice with me. I got a little passionate about that, didn't I? I felt I was pitting my Bible. (laughs) It's like pounding the pulpit. You know, I think I got passionate about it because I am passionate about it. This This is reality. I may not get to share the gospel with you again. And you need to know this. God so loved you that he sent his only begotten son that whosoever, that would be you, he so loved you that he sent his only son for you that if you will believe in him, you will not perish but have everlasting life. That is the message you need to hear today. That you would turn away from your sins and believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. I mean it with all of my heart. That's the only thing you need. You don't need your problem solved. You don't need your loved ones back. You need a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. You need to affirm your creator in him. I want you to notice, Paul, he describes death as sleep. Did you notice that? He used that twice. He says in verse 13, those who have fallen asleep. And then in verse 14, those who sleep in Jesus. That's how the Bible describes death. And it's an appropriate description. Looking at someone who's died at their body, it's like they're asleep. And the idea here is the body, not the soul. So please don't allow someone to take you here and teach you some false thing about soul sleep. Like that after you die, you go into some kind of limbo and you cease to exist and then you exist. You don't, your soul doesn't go to sleep. This is a reference and a description of the body. It's a common phrase. Remember the New Testament is written in the Greek language. It's a common phrase to describe death, fallen asleep. It's actually a phrase that Jesus himself uses. If you'd like to turn with me, go over to John chapter 11. Jesus Christ uses the same exact phrase to describe a man who physically died. It's a euphemism or an idiomatic phrase or a metaphor. It's a picture that describes death. And here Jesus uses the same phrase in verse 11 of John chapter 11 when he says, These things he said, and after that he said to them, Our friend Lazarus sleeps, but I go that I might wake him up. Lazarus was dead, and he was about to be brought back to life. But as Jesus describes it, he uses the word sleep. Even in the Old Testament, similar phrases are used to describe death. We read of the death of King David. In 1 Kings chapter 2, verse 10, where it says, David rested with his fathers and was buried in the city of David. Or in the old King James, it says, David slept with his fathers and was buried in the city of David. As Christians, we use the term for death, this term sleep or asleep, because it reminds us that it's only temporary. Death is not the end, but the beginning. Our last breath on earth is our first breath in eternity. The body rests until the resurrection. In Daniel chapter 12 and verse two, it says, many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake, some to everlasting life and some to shame and everlasting contempt. Those who are wise shall shine like the brightness of the firmament and those who turn many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. it's interesting, you know, the, the term sleep or "asleep" to refer to death is almost like the body takes a nap. It's going to sleep and it'll wake up soon as it's reunited with the soul and the spirit. And I was thinking, you know, as, as when we were younger as kids, you know, we, we just fought taking naps like you wouldn't believe. Like there, there is no way. We didn't like them. We weren't interested in stopping and resting. We didn't wanna stop playing. But now that we got a few years on us, I'll take a nap anytime I can possibly get it. How about you? It's like I'll take as much sleep as I possibly can. Hey, look, a Christian doesn't have to fear death or taking a nap any more than fearing. Uh, a Christian doesn't have to take. Excuse me. A Christian doesn't have to fear death any more than taking a nap because you will wake up. You will wake up. Sleep. It's this sleep is a reference to the soul and not the body. Paul here makes it clear that when a believer dies, his soul goes to be with the Lord. 2 Corinthians chapter five. We're always confident knowing that while we are at home in the body, we are absent from the Lord. Jesus told the thief on the cross next to him, remember? Jesus said, surely I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. And it's true, the body remains on this earth, but the real person is with the Lord because you are not your body. The real you is something outside of that show, which is good news. It's good to know we won't have to live in this body forever. The real you will have a different body forever and ever. That is the promise of the Lord. You will be given a new body. This body will finish its function and the need for it as we live on this earth. And then you and I are promised a new body. No more aches, no more pains, no more snap, crackle and pop as you walk down the stairs. No more cancer, no more sickness, no more COVID, no more nothing. You'll be delivered from it all in the presence of the Lord. Though we look at a person and say that he or she died, it's more accurate to say that he or she moved, that in Christ they were promoted. And Paul says here, don't sorrow as those who have no hope. Because there is hope, wonderful hope, in the Lord. Now remember in the first century, it was a very hopeless existence. Paganism, which was rampant, which was the religion of the day. Paganism, you would understand paganism, you know, if you try to understand it today, it would be very similar to what's happening today. Anything but Jesus Christ. Anything but the one true God. But paganism had a sense of worshiping the earth, worshiping idolatry, worshiping possessions, anything but surrendering your life to Jesus. You know, the Greeks had deified just about everything. By the time Paul gets to Athens, remember, he was looking around and he says, look, I see you guys, you have a God. You you have gods for just about everything and anything. But I I also noticed you had this one idol. You had this one idol that was dedicated to the unknown God. Let me explain that unknown God to you. And he began to share with them the truth of the one true God. In the face of death, the pagan world stood in despair. It's not very different today. As I quote to you, some of the philosophers, listen to how they approach death. One philosopher wrote, once a man dies, there's no resurrection. There's no hope in that. Another philosopher writes in the first century, there is hope for those who are alive, but those who have died are without hope. Now, they readily admit that they live without hope. Another philosopher wrote, when once our brief light sets, there is one perpetual night through which we must sleep. And on their tombstones in the first century grim epitaphs were carved I was not I became I am not and I care not We have our modern day philosophers today I don't know if you noticed in the news just in the last couple of days in the hopelessness of all that's going on in our culture globally economically politically we have the modern day philosopher Arnold Schwarzenegger, (laughs) he decides for some reason to speak up on the topic of life and death, and I didn't pull up the quote. I forgot to do it in between services, but his quote generally said, don't tell me there's any afterlife, and laces it with explicit expletives and everything, like, don't you tell me there's any afterlife. Well, thank you, Arnold Schwarzenegger. That's a lot of hope what have you done with your life? Play act the whole time? You're just an actor. You don't even live in reality. So that when you're forced to live in reality, what do you have to offer? Hopelessness. Let me just say today, to anyone listening, you won't be able to play act your way out of death. And neither will you be able to play act your way out of standing before God and giving an account for the life that he gave to you. So be careful, church, who you listen to. We don't have to be in the first century to live in a hopeless existence. It's all around us. When Paul says to be careful of sorrow, he's not saying that death won't bring sorrow and grief. It will and it does. But it's a different kind of sorrow because we have hope. Church, there is an afterlife. You will give account for your life. The Bible speaks of the great white throne judgment where the books will be opened and your life will be judged by the singular work of what have you done with his son, Jesus Christ. For the believer, we have a different judgment. Our life will be examined not at the great white throne judgment, but at the Bema seat judgment where the motives and the intents of our hearts will be measured before God for what we have done in his name. And you know, the the surprising thing about the Bema Seed judgment is that many things that we have done will actually be rewarded. Like we did it for the right reasons. We did it with the right motives. I'm sure we'll be surprised. And many times we didn't have the right motives. And you know what? God used us nonetheless. You have hope you will not stand before the great white throne judgment because Jesus Christ took the guilt and the shame and the pain and the penalty. He took the wrath of God upon himself as he died on that cross for you and anyone that will place their faith in Jesus Christ. The Bible again says that there is a time to weep and there is a time to laugh, a time to mourn and a time to dance. And Jesus put to rest the thought that grown men don't cry. You know, the time that Jesus is described in John's gospel, again, chapter 11, at the same place he talked about Lazarus being asleep, as he refers to him having died, the Bible has Jesus recorded as weeping uncontrollably at this scene of Lazarus' death and the mourners and the criers and the Horrible scene around death. He was touched by human emotion, but also grieving at the effects of death and the effects of sin, what it does to us in our core. But even so, in the depth of pain, we have hope in the Lord Jesus Christ. We have hope that God will get us through today. And if he'll get us through today, then he'll get us through tomorrow. If grief is a big part of your life, I want to encourage you, email me this week. Email me today, and I'll check it later today. And ask for the information I've collected over the last 10 years on this topic of grief. It'll be a great help to you. And it won't take me very long, so don't worry about me being busy or anything. I will respond, and I'll send you all the links, things that you can read and print out. After my son Eddie passed away, I started writing on grief Uh, in those depths of the really difficult days. It was very helpful to me to get it out and make it available. And I can send you the links for those as well. Uh, Because there is hope. Because you might be listening to me right now and thinking, but uh, it just happened, Ed, and I don't believe there's hope. I just don't believe you, what you're saying right now. And that's because you're hurting. And I don't judge you for feeling that way. It's hard. It's sorrowful. If our own Savior, God in human flesh, would weep convulsively over the loss of Lazarus and Mary and Martha and everyone in that town that was affected, then of course you're going to hurt. You know, people spend their life studying these things and providing help and counseling in grief. And they say there's predictable stages to grief that have expanded over the years. When you lose someone, it starts with this immediate feeling of tearing away. There's a ripping that takes place. And you know, you can't push it down and, and ignore it. Although I know many of you have tried, but here's the problem. If you don't face it head on, just allowing God to bring you the comfort you need, and you press it down and press it, it's going to come out. And the longer you wait to acknowledge it. At the very least, just acknowledge it and make yourself open to the work of the Holy Spirit. If you push it down, it's going to explode. It's going to do greater damage in the long term instead of just facing it today. They say the first stage of grief is denial. Denial. You start thinking things like, this can't be happening. It's all a dream. I didn't hear what I said. I didn't Read the text properly. I've read a few texts twice, you know. And then shock settles in. And you start feeling guilt. If I only would have been there, if I could have helped, maybe I could have prayed more or not been deceived or a whole host of things. And then they say the next stage is anger or blame. Why didn't the doctors do this? Why did you allow this, God? I wish I could have been there sooner. And then there comes a time of depression as your feelings are coming to the surface and sorrow grips your heart. And then they say there's a time of acceptance where you're finally coming to terms with the reality. And then hope And then continuing. It's all very fairly, I should say, predictable and very normal. Even though it's not necessarily in each. Everybody grieves differently. You need to know that. You can't compare your grief or your mourning with others because other situations and difficult. Even in the same loss, everybody grieves differently. And so you have to be careful if you're one of those. If you have more of a sensitive approach, you know, you're more sensitive and, Uh, softer in your personality that you would be tending to beat yourself up because you're not feeling a certain way or don't don't make it worse for yourself sometimes they happen successively sometimes they happen on top of each other sometimes that you skip a few steps you just trust the Lord grieving and mourning is real and it's normal when the Hebrews buried their dead they mourned for over a month the Egyptians 70 days remember Jacob we're studying this on Wednesday nights. Jake, We're going to get there in a few weeks, but when Jacob considers that he might lose his son Joseph, he tore his clothes, it says in Genesis 37. He put sackcloth on his waist and mourned for his son many days. David, when his son Absalom, when he lost his son and report came back to him, it says, in 2 Samuel 18, the king was deeply moved and went up to the chamber over the gate and he wept. And as he went, he said thus, O my son Absalom, my son Absalom, if only I had died in your place. O Absalom, my son, my son. Many of you are familiar with Martin Luther. He's considered the father of the Reformation, of Protestantism. He was a good father, you know, not much is said about this part of his life. His sturdy spirit, which could face an emperor at war, was almost broken by the death of his precious daughter, Magdalena, at the age of 14. God, he said, has given no bishop so great a gift in a thousand years as he's given me and her. And Martin Luther prayed night and day for her recovery from sickness unto death. I love her very much, he said, but dear God, if it's thy holy will to take her, I would gladly leave her her with thee. And he said to her, Lena, dear, my little daughter, thou wouldst love to remain here with thy father. Art thou willing to go to thy other father? Yes, dear father, Lena answered, just as God wills. And when she died, he wept long and bitterly. And as she was laid in the earth, he spoke to her as a living soul. He spoke a few words in German, but they were recorded in English. You will rise and shine like the stars in the sun. How strange it is to know that she is at peace and all is well and yet to be so sorrowful. Grief and mourning is normal and nothing to be suppressed Paul says in verse 14 here in 1 Thessalonians, if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so God will bring with him those who sleep in Jesus. This is confidence. Belief and faith brings confidence in the truths of God's word. The word if here, the word if, or here in the New King James 4, if this phrase is so important. It is the hinge of our hope. If you believe, then you have hope. But if not, then you are in trouble. Death is inevitable. Every one of us will die. And along the way, the longer we live, many of those that we love will die before us. You know, as you have in your life, many men and women perhaps even boys and girls that have died before you and gone to be with the Lord, you know, your heart tends to follow them. Remember what Jesus said, where your treasure is, there your heart will also be and where your heart will follow. And, you know, you just think of the more men and women that have gone before us to be with the Lord, the more our hearts are in heaven. The more we think of heavenly things. As Hezekiah was told, prepare Get your house in order. Amos told a whole nation, prepare to meet your God, O Israel. And that's my word to you today. Be ready. Be prepared. Be prepared spiritually first. Receive the Lord Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And please, I beg you, be prepared practically. You never want to be put in a place where Marie and I were put. Ever, never, ever. Get your wills and your living trust written down so that in writing, your voice could be heard and spoken on your behalf. Prepare to meet your God, O Israel. Dr. Donald Gray Barnhouse was one of America's greatest preachers. His first wife died from cancer when she was in her 30s. Left him with three children under the age of 12 to raise. Barnhouse chose to preach the funeral himself. What does a father tell his motherless children at a time like this? On his way to the service, with his children in the car he was driving, when a large truck passed them by on the highway, casting a deep, dark shadow over the car. And that was then where he knew what he needed to share with his kids. He turned to his oldest daughter who was staring out the window, unable to be consoled, and asked her, tell me, sweetheart, would you rather be run over by that truck or its shadow? And the little girl looked curiously at her dad and said, well, by the shadow, I guess it can't hurt you. And it was then that her dad said quietly to the three children, your mom has not been overrun by death but by the shadow of death. And that is nothing to fear. And at the funeral, Dr. Barnhouse used the text from the 23rd Psalm, which so eloquently expresses this truth. Would you turn there with me and I wanna close. Please don't leave as we close the service. Can I share with you Psalm 23 and we'll read it together. Psalm 23, probably many of you know it by heart, but I want to read it so we get it exact. It says, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures and he leads me beside the still waters. He restores my soul and leads me in the paths of righteousness for his namesake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. There's a devotional titled, The Power of Prayer, by E.M. Bounds. Uh, this is the devotion for this morning. The title of it is Sufferings. And the scripture that's referenced is Romans chapter 8, verse 18. I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will reveal, be revealed in us. And here is the devotional. Paul used the word sufferings to describe the troubles of life in the comforting passage where he contrasted life's troubles to final glory in heaven, which shall be the reward of all who patiently endure until the end. Further, he spoke of the afflictions that come to the people of God in this world, and he regarded them as nearly weightless when compared to the weight of glory awaiting all who are a submissive, patient, and faithful in all their troubles. God, make me patient and faithful servant so that your glory may be revealed in me. Amen. This is Pastor Avant's favorite devotional. If you ever interacted with Avant, you ever had the opportunity to serve with him, if you ever talked to him, if he ever shared anything with you, most likely the conversation would end or end up somewhere talking about E.M. Bounds. Avant was a man of prayer, a passionate man of prayer. He's the very first pastor we ever brought on our team whose sole focus on our team was to keep our minds and attention on prayer. Yesterday morning, no doubt Avant woke up and read this Devo. This was yesterday's. In the title of the, of the Devo is clinging faith. Woman, you have great faith. Your request is granted. Matthew chapter 15, verse 28. The Canaanite woman gives a glimpse of her clinging faith and her spiritual insight. The master went to the Sidonian country so that this truth could be shown for all time. There is no cry as effective as persistent prayer. And there is no prayer to which God surrenders himself so fully and so freely. The persistence of this distressed mother brought about her request. Instead of being an offense to the Savior, it drew from him a word of wonder and glad surprise. And the summary was, Dear Lord, please increase my faith and help me to pray persistently. Amen. Last night during service, it's 7-12, I believe to be exact. I received a text that I didn't read right away because I was teaching at the time, 7:12. It was a text from Barb Ramsey, Avant's wife, and I'm glad I didn't see it in the pulpit at the time, but I, after service, I noticed I had a lot of different texts, and I had sent a text out to the staff, uh, an encouragement thing to our whole team yesterday, so I'm getting a lot of responses from that. So I didn't really look at it until I was, I felt like at a red light, Chambers and Parker, going to pull out my phone uh, and I'm going to look at it. And I received note that Avant went to the hospital. Uh, It was an emergency yesterday afternoon. Uh, He had an aortic aneurysm and the docs were trying to stabilize him. Now uh, for surgery, I'll keep you informed. Please pray for him. And so Uh, I went home, I I texted her uh, before the red light changed. Hey, let me call me right away. I even called her on the way and I didn't hear from her on my way home. So I ended up going home and sending out a note to the pastors. Hey, um, Avant's in the hospital and everybody's going, should we go to the hospital? I don't know yet. Um, But my son took that, uh, Pastor Josh, my son took that text and he started calling hospitals uh, to find out where Avant was. And we found the hospital and I rushed over to St. Joe's which is a hard hospital to be at, uh, and uh, I was there, I driving by the ER there, and I saw Barb, and I saw her his her sons, so I parked all crooked and ran in before I lost them in the maze of that hospital, and Avant was in surgery, and so we spent the day there, uh, since spent some hours, Pastor Everett showed up as well, and spent some time uh, joking and laughing and talking about Avant, and he was going to undergo a five-hour surgery uh, at the minimum. And she, they went upstairs to the waiting room and said, go ahead and go home. Um, I'll text you uh, after he's out of surgery. And he's got surgery and then a couple of days in ICU and a couple of weeks uh, in, um, in recovery. And, and so, you know, you go to bed like that and you don't sleep at night. And I told her, text me. Uh, you know, go ahead and text me if it's good, but if, it's, if anything happens emergency-wise, you got to call me, so my phone will ring, and it'll wake me up. And so I've been up, up you know, all night looking, 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 and I, awo- I woke up to, uh, uh, one of the times I woke up, I looked at my uh, phone, and it was a text message, and I read it, but then I had to read it a second time. And I have no other way to share this with you than in person to let you know that Pastor Avant went home to be with the Lord at four o'clock this morning. And uh, he didn't come out of surgery. You know, if you, um, we have a picture of him. If you, uh, (laughs) that's Pastor Avant and Barb. And man, what a gift the Ramses are to our church. And, and, uh, you know, he's absent from the body and he's present with the Lord. And uh, we're going to miss him if you ever got a chance to have him a part of your life. And I mean, he's just one of those guys that, um, and Marie saw this picture and she's like, man, he was always a good sport with things too. (laughs) He wasn't much of a cowboy, but he played the part for us. I think that was maybe a servant appreciation, was that? So you made him do it. (laughs) Um, So we were there last night talking and just reminiscing. And I was looking through the pictures of Avant uh, to, to choose some pictures, that picture to share with you. And we were talking about, uh, you know, Avant wasn't an angry man at all. Never really got angry. I never really saw him super angry myself ever. Uh, pretty close to him. Never saw him angry. But we were talking because the boys were there. He has two adult sons, Avant Jr. and Michael and uh, we were talking about just life and one of the topics came up with that whenever avant was upset around the house because you know how things are in the house a little different than in public uh, when he was he was upset he wouldn't really say it much but they knew he was set by two different things one is he would start humming a song no song in particular because i asked which song is oh he would just make it up along the way and they would hear him hum and uh, they would say, oh, I think, think your dad's upset about something. And yeah, I think he is. Another thing he would do, and I don't know to what degree anger it was, but he would sing hymns around the house. And if they just heard Avant singing hymns out of the blue, or even sometimes uh, Michael was sitting next to me, he said sometimes he would sing a Motown hit. So maybe he was really upset then. <laughs> but he would sing hymns. And, uh, you know, that was a beautiful thing. We're going to end service today. Um, singing to him in his honor. Um, but if you know Avant, he loved Jesus Christ and he loved you, this church. He loved this church. And I mean, he, he was only on our team part-time because he had other things he was doing. So he was a part-time part. But you wouldn't know that by the time that he invested here. He was here all the time. All the time he was here. The only thing he loved, uh, you know, only thing, I'm going to say, how can I say this right? He loved Jesus, and then he loved Barb, and then he loved his boys. But then came the grandkids. And when the grandkids came, notice we have, I have a picture of Isham. He just sent this to me last week. So there is one of them. And then his next one here, Avon and his grandkids. We didn't see him so much around here anymore. And we would find out, hey, what are you doing? What are you doing? I, well, I'm with the grandkids. It's my day for the grandkids. And all of a sudden, that day became two days. And sometimes three days a week, he'd be with the grandkids. He was a gentle giant indeed. Just such a, a wonderful man, a man of integrity. And it was interesting how everything changed, you know, this morning, because this statement, get your house in order. I was looking through the pictures and I, I was looking, I'm like, was he, at the, was he at our last pastor's getaway, which was just a while ago? So I look at the picture, and he wasn't in the picture. And as I'm looking at it, I couldn't remember. Like, I just couldn't remember. And I'm like, hey, Josh, where was Avan? And Josh reminded me, he said, well, he stayed home. And I'm like, yeah, I remember now. He told me exactly why. You know, he stayed home from our pastor's getaway, which we only do really once a year. It's kind of our time to get away and have some fun and just goof off together. And he loved to have fun, super competitive, didn't like to lose, that kind of guy. We loved him. We loved that. He lost a lot, but that's okay. (laughs) We loved him nonetheless. And here's why he wasn't with us. He was at home with his wife cleaning out the house. And he told me exactly why he was cleaning out the house and the basement and everything is because there's a lot of stuff there. And he said he didn't want to leave it for his wife and his kids to have to go through all this stuff after he dies. And that's the kind of man he was. It wasn't a premonition. He wasn't talking about that he felt like he was going to die. It was just a part of who he was. And so church, sometimes we have to take a detour Sometimes we have to talk about hard things from the pulpit. We have to allow the Holy Spirit to comfort us and prepare us. And you know, there's a part of me, like, almost immediately, that I want to apologize for having to, but I'm not, I'm not in any way apologetic that I talked to you today about life and death and shared just a little bit of the life of Avant, and let you hear it from, from us personally. We're going to send an email out later and, We're going to send information. But something like this, this is a first. We've never experienced this before like this ever as a church. We've gone through a lot of grief and a lot of heartache and a lot of difficulty, but this is another first. But the Lord is going to help us through these things. He's going to remind us of his hope, and he's going to give us the strength that we need for today while infusing in us hope for tomorrow. So would you please stand with me? Uh, We were able to make it through the first service, and I think we'll be able to make it through. But in case we don't, if we aren't able to make it through the song, you just keep singing. The lyrics will be up there. We're gonna sing the hymn, How Great Thou Art. We're gonna remember the great and glorious God of which Avan is in the presence of the Lord, as, as many of your loved ones are as well. If you, it won't be the last time we experience loss on this earth. It won't be the last time we'll be sad together. Um, But we learn how to weep with those who weep and rejoice with those who rejoice. And so I commend you today to the grace of God, to his goodness and his faithfulness. And please be in prayer for Barb, Avant's wife, uh, his son, Avant Jr., his son, Michael. And and forgive me, I can't remember the names of the uh, babies, but there's grandkids. He has two grandkids and... And uh, we'll get through this together. I know it might open some wounds for you as well. um, Because it's always at the surface, right? But the best way to live your life is in reality. You don't want to play act. Play acting is going to lead you to all kinds of philosophical nonsense. It's not going to root your life in the foundation of the truth of God's word and his faithfulness. So it's okay to live in reality. And it's okay to be sad. It's okay even to be happy. Some of you are like, man, I'm so glad. Avad, all he talked about was heaven. Well, now he's there. It's bittersweet. We're happy for him and sad for us. But soon enough, we'll be with him in glory and we'll be follow our knees and we'll worship the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, casting our crowns down before the throne of God, forever to be with him. So let's sing this hymn together. And that's how we're going to end our service. Oh, Lord,
1: my God, when I in awesome wonder consider all the works thy hands have made, I see the stars, I hear the rolling thunder, thy power throughout the universe then sings my soul my Savior God to thee we sing how great thou art how great thou art how great God, his son not sparing, sent him to die. I scarce can take it in that on the cross, my burden gladly bearing, he bled and died to take away my soul. Sings my soul. Then sings my soul. My Savior God shall come when Christ shall come with shouts of acclamation and take me home what joy then I shall in humble adoration and there proclaim my God how great Thou art, then sings my soul, my Savior. We sing how great Thou art, how great, how great. Sings my soul then sings my soul.
0: And we urge you, brethren, to recognize those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you and to esteem them very highly in love for their work's sake. Be at peace among yourselves. Now we exhort you, brethren, warning those who are unruly, comfort the faint-hearted, uphold the weak, And be patient with all. Pastor Avant Ramsey was given to us on on September 9th, 1953. And went home to be with the Lord June 11th, 2023. He's been a part of our church for 19 plus years. And we honor him and remember him. We esteem the example that he leaves for us. And we receive this exhortation to be at peace among ourselves and to comfort one another and be strong in the Lord. May the Lord bless you and encourage you today. Uh, Thank you. We pray that you've been encouraged by this Bible study delivered live from the sanctuary of Calvary Church. For prayer, call us at 877-30-GRACE. That's 877-304-7223. To listen to this message in its entirety or to join us for our live stream services, visit us online at calvaryco.church or download our free Calvary Church app. Be blessed as you worship Jesus this week.